Hello. Hi, how are you? Very good. What's up? Can you hear me clearly? Yes, I can. Finally. Oh, my God. <laughs> it only took us half an hour this evening to get this connection going, but uh, okay. better late than ever. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. No, my pleasure. Uh, we'll have to limit it to 15 minutes maximum because I have to be somewhere at 8 o'clock. So, unfortunately, that's the clock is ticking. So, let's okay. probably jump straight into the episode. Okay. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Um, could you give a brief synopsis of like your language learning journey? I mean, yeah, definitely. So basically, I was um, the kind of typical language student in school. I was born in Ireland. I sucked at languages at school. They were my worst subjects. I was very frustrated and felt like I couldn't learn languages. And then after I left high school and actually started to travel a lot, I figured out through trial and error over a large number of years what worked for me personally. And I learned ultimately over 10 languages. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I, of course, run a YouTube channel and have a blog that started off purely about languages, but now it's more about my lifestyle in Eastern Europe, using the languages and traveling and uh, dating and how it builds relationships and the importance of languages, uh, which are fundamental in that. And it's called, my, obviously, my name, Connor Klein's our experience. Uh, so for the in the interest of brevity that's basically me and that's basically my language series i think i'm an inspiration for people who have really struggled at high school languages uh, and then later on aspire to you know learn at least one well <laughs> you don't have not everybody has to learn more than 10 that's that's right. not really a realistic goal for most people or a desire you don't really need them but it's something that because of where i worked lived and studied right. uh, it became uh, something that i managed to accomplish now, I had a question to ask. Um, out of all the languages that you study, um, which ones do you use like on a daily basis like, since you're living in Eastern Europe? Exactly. So I live between Ukraine and Belarus uh, in the mm -hmm. last year primarily. So in both of those countries, Russian is the main language. Uh, mm -hmm. The national language of Ukraine is Ukrainian, but mm -hmm. in reality on a daily basis in most big cities in Ukraine. Uh, it is more common to use Russian. That changes where you are geographically. If you go to the West, of course, Ukrainian is um, the main language in Ukraine. And here in Belarus, there are two official languages, Russian and Belarusian. Uh, mm -hmm. But in reality, everybody speaks Russian on a daily basis. So I basically speak Russian three quarters of the year on a daily basis. On top of that, I speak probably every day it's hard to say it would be every day, but most days in French, Italian, German, obviously English because it's my native tongue. Right. I would say those three I use almost every day with friends, um, mm -hmm. either because I have friends in these countries who happen to speak as their first languages or I'm just chatting with them online. They're just close friends. So we're in contact uh, most days. I do also I have a, my cousin moved to Spain and I had some stuff to do there last year. So I actually spent a little bit of time in Spain. Uh, both in Tenerife and in Madrid, so I got to use my Spanish. And I was more just, you know, for that period I was there, I wouldn't use Spanish every day. And uh, I like to go to Brazil still once a year if possible. And of course, I use Portuguese there. But again, that is just for when I'm there. Uh, right. But I would say on a daily basis, I'm using 
probably about five languages um, that could, you know, there's obviously times where I meet someone who happens to speak one of the other languages I've learned. Uh, we'll say, you know, um, regularly it would be five on a daily basis. What made you want to go over to Eastern Europe and, like, so I had uh, a job as a lawyer in Western Europe. Mm-hmm. I had studied in the U.S. for for a while and lived there. And then when I came back to Europe, I wanted to, you know, really see the continent. So I actually ended up first going to all. At the time, there were 27 member states of the European Union. I was actually working in the European institutions as a lawyer. So I actually wanted, just out of curiosity, to have visited every single country. Uh, right now it's 28 member states. Croatia was a member state then. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually went to all 27. And then once I'd done that, I realized, wow, there isn't actually so many more countries in Europe when I looked up the list that I haven't visited. You know, I should just make a point of going to all 50. So I mm-hmm. traveled on all 50. And what I found was I had previously studied Russian at university, uh, not to a very high level, very, very basic, actually. had pretty poor Russian. And um, the region has very poor English skills. So when I was traveling there, I had a very interesting first trip uh, for good and bad reasons. Some crazy things happened to you, though good. We were pretty awful, uh, but I was definitely interested in coming back again. And I realized that I needed need to work in my Russian. Uh, so over the last few years, my Russian has improved dramatically and I find it, um, find it interesting from several points of view. I had studied international relations at Johns Hopkins University and I had actually a specialization in the former Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, but I had an action of Russian. So actually getting to live here uh, just from a personal interest point of view is very high just to see how the political um, decisions of the respective countries like Russia, Belarus and Ukraine have led them over the last five to ten years. Also, the cost of living, especially in Ukraine, is probably the cheapest in Europe still. It's risen in the last two years, but it's still on a par with the cheapest countries of Europe. And things like food tends to be very high quality. Um, So it's basically costing a fraction of living in Western Europe. Right. So this is a huge attraction to living there right now. It's like basically can have a commensurate standard living for one third I mean, between one half and one third. It depends where you live in Western Europe, of course. If you live in uh, London, it's going to be one third easily, maybe even a quarter. But of course, if you live somewhere that's more reasonably priced in Western Europe, outside right. of one, you know, one of those big capitals, it's probably about half, half the price uh, to have the same quality of life. And I, I just enjoy also being an area that's less traveled by tourists from the West uh, means that uh, it's a more pleasant experience because obviously... Uh, because I'm more of a curiosity to the local people here, people are a lot more interested in getting to know me than would be if I went somewhere where there are, you know, two million tourists hitting Rome. Uh, even though I speak Italian, I love Italy. It's my favorite country in Europe. Uh, obviously, the experience is quite different. So uh, I would say they're the main reasons. Of course, there are also, I should forget, beautiful women here as well. Uh, <laughs> that's never, uh, as a single guy, that's obviously not lost on me. Um, so that would be one one more reason but there's obviously set four or five different factors uh for me uh, quality of life is actually number one uh if you are you know if you have the ability to work online for example or something where you just have a lot of savings and you want to spell your dollars then your dollars are going to go at least twice as far here if not three or four times more and that allows you to have a better quality of life i would say that's number one uh, then after that is the 
interests, personal interests in the region is politics, it's history. Also, the Russian language will be number three because I get to practice it and improve it. And then number four would be just dating. Uh, it's just uh, there are a lot more beautiful girls here than, say, Western Europe or the U.S., I'd say, on average. And of course, you have cultural differences, and I go into that in on my channel. It's not like uh, beauty is the only factor, but <laughs> definitely it's, it's something that a lot of guys come here for. Yeah, I just saw your recent video you posted yesterday about the genetics of, of, of Ukrainian women, and I was so shocked to see that, you know, a lot of their DNA was from the Baltic area. Exactly, that was one of the big findings, yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, that's Odessa. It's a mix from the south and the north coming together. Uh, you know, uh, so much very few people are aware of. So I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, conclusion to the video. Uh, I will be doing more of those in the region as well. Probably has to be confirmed, but that's uh, likely in the next few months. So if you enjoyed now, that style of video, there's more to come. Now, if you were to give like my listeners some advice, especially people who are just starting out in language learning, um, you know, they might not want to go to school. They might want to just be an independent language learner. Um, Well, the first thing you have to establish is why are you, why do you want to learn a particular language? I think motivation and having that right is the most important factor towards success in my experience. Now, I have started some languages without a clear reason, and then along the way, I found a reason to learn it, right? Maybe I started a language and I met someone who spoke it and I had a romantic relationship. Okay, that's a great motivation to keep going. But in general, uh, I started examples, concrete ones like Chinese, under Chinese, and Arab. And, and you know, after three to six months in all of those, I had to ask myself, why am I doing this? Is it just purely intellectual uh, okay. stimulus and curiosity? Because I didn't have any friends who spoke the language. I wasn't traveling to the region where spoken very often. I wasn't, you know, going to social events in my hometown where that language was used. And it's a lot big time, you know, of course, you can study languages uh, intelligently, but it's still a time commitment. Right. And I had, I had to sit and say, do I really need this? Do I, you know, no. Right. Uh, and why am I learning this language over another language, right? right. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing to get started. Like if, you, if you're saying, I would like to learn Spanish because it would be cool, or yeah, I would like to just because you would like to learn it, you're not likely to succeed. Right. Um, and I think just making sure that you have that nailed down as to why something that's going to to sustain you is most of the time going to decide whether you're successful or not because you can have the worst method in the world but if you're motivated you will get there eventually it will just take you longer with a bad method but if you don't have the motivation in my experience you're going to have to find it along the way otherwise you will just stop because you'll be demotivated and um the chances you find the motivation in my experience are about 10 to 20 percent along the way so if you don't have it at the beginning that's just as important. Uh, it might be that another language is the one that you should be learning. So I would say after that, it's, of course, um, consistency. Like, you need to do a little bit every day. It only right. has to be 30 minutes, in my experience. And then, you know, you'll find yourself six months, a year, two years down the line, so far ahead than if you try to dive in, like, three hours a day for a very short burst. Right. Uh, language learning is a marathon. It's not a sprint. To, right. Um, and then after that, I would say method. Um, and that's something that, you know, I would say the, I think the thing that 
motivates you to come back the next day and learn again is probably the right. best method in terms of a technique or a particular software or an app or something that you're using. Right. Uh, I have, of course, my own methods I've developed. It. It's a lot about input and doing right. basically what you're interested in. Right. Uh, that's a little bit challenging for your level every day, I would say. And definitely scheduling a tutor um, so that you have at least one or two hours. I usually do two hours a week with a tutor. Right. Um, broken into two slots or four slots, you can do it. And that just means that you're regularly with a teacher. You have that schedule. keeps you right. on track. Uh, and then over time, you'll see massive, 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 massive improvement. But yeah. you got to be patient. Yeah, I, I've done that myself where I... The things I talk about in English, I want to be able to say the same thing. Which are two languages I'm studying. And I my listeners that all the time, you know, this is not a great journey. You know, you might want to take your time. You know, because they want to try to learn in three months. Oh, I want to get to see one. That's not going to happen. No, you need. <laughs> well, it's going to be very hard. I never say anything is not possible. But um, in Russian, for example, I would say that's like a three-year project, realistically. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been studying Russian come next month, four years. And I'm just now able to understand Tolstoy. So. All right. Well, that's still pretty impressive, uh, if you can understand Tolstoy, even after four years. But, you know, that's a more realistic uh, time frame, I think, for, for learning a language. And it's also important to understand what are you going to need it for. I mean, for you, it might be reading literature in Russian. I don't necessarily need to have that as a goal. Right. So uh, for me, it's more important to be able to speak to people in person and read stuff that's relevant in everyday life because I'm actually here in the region. Right. And so for me, prioritizing, understanding the spoken word and being able to you know, articulate my thoughts um, in the most reoccurring situations is the top priority. Um, I don't have too many discussions about, you know, Russian literature, so that's not a priority. It would be nice to do it, of course, like anything else, but it's it's important to just prioritize what you're going to need it for uh, right. so you get the most benefit out of it. Right. I mean, because I know for me personally, Russian was the first independent language that I learned by myself about four years ago. And so my whole thing was, I want to talk about politics, I want to talk about, you know, food and, and what I do every day. And I realized I mastered the language after having a two-hour conversation with a friend of mine's mom from Moscow who spoke no English. Wow. And, and I understood more in that two-hour conversation than the little short conversations I was having with people online. That's how, and I was like, oh, I think I've mastered this. Okay, next. <laughs> I mean, it was a great feeling. Two hours of talking, nothing but Russian with someone, and they're understanding what you're saying. That yeah. that's a big deal. For me. I was very I mean, I'm one of those people where I'm an extrovert, so I'm a people person. I I will go up to someone and speak. I'm not afraid to do that. So I encourage my listeners to do the same because English is from like all over. So. But, I hear you. Um, my final thought. Um, if you were to uh, tell your younger self a piece of advice about you know running out in in all this, what would it be? Mine. Get more involved with the local people as soon as possible. 
Like, I think one mistake I made when I went abroad for the first time is that I was surrounded by other English speakers for way too long, and that slowed down uh, my rate of progress. So if you do have the opportunity to go in an exchange program or just live in the other country, you need to create a local you know, network mm-hmm. as soon as possible so that you're getting exposed to the language, uh, which pushes you, of course, outside of your comfort zone because you have to deal with a lot more like cultural uh, you cultural stimuli as well as situational stimuli, right? So you're in a foreign country, there are different laws, different customs, uh, maybe different food, different smells, different <laughs> weather, right? There's just a lot of stuff that can be, you know, create stress. Right. Uh, and language is one of those additional factors. But yeah, for me, definitely getting a local uh, network of people in, you know, even if you have to use a little bit of English in the beginning, right? Um, just being exposed to it and pushing that comfort yourself outside your comfort zone there, that's really important. Because the quicker you do that, uh, the quicker you're going to learn because you're going to be speaking the language more and more. One parting thought is I have a lot of friends, obviously, who are part of the polyglot community, speak lots of languages, speak a lot more than me. And we all basically, if we look at the languages we speak the best, it's the languages that we spoke the most. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by creating a local network of friends. Uh, you can also have romantic relations with someone that's probably going to be very intense. And for, uh, definitely, uh, very you can involve a lot of time with the language. But that's basically it. You know, it's not really a mystery which languages you're going to be speaking the best. It's the ones right. that you spend the most time speaking. And creating that environment in which you're going to achieve that is really what I would, you know, like to leave as a parting recommendation to well, your listeners. Thank you so much for coming on. It was great, Chanel. Unfortunately, it took us a long time to get this together, and I have to rush off um, right now for my next appointment, but it was a pleasure chatting to you, and uh, yeah, best of luck uh, to all your listeners who are learning their languages. If they want to check out my website, uh, my YouTube channel, it's Connor Klein, Zara Experience, or ZaraExperience.com. That's spelled T-S-A-R, Experience. Uh, so spelled the British spelling because I thought it looked prettier in the US. <laughs> Only for that, I actually write in American English. Otherwise, uh, I'm definitely on YouTube. You can find me. My name is Connor, C O N O R C L Y N E. If you type that into YouTube or Google, I will pop up and you can check out my content. Um, so I will say Dispadania, which is goodbye to Russian from Minsk, Belarus, where I'm sitting. Меня тоже. Хороший вечер и до свидания. Пока.